We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 34 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, let's start with you. How are you today? Livid, I suppose. That's good. That's good. I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to hear it. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because, Thank oh boy, you. we've been covering the conference and uh, yet we got some more today uh, of some of the um, the great people they've had on stage down there. So looking forward to uh, to talking about that with Excellent. you. Excellent. And Bruce, how are well, you? I hope today? you two are well. I beg your I'm pardon. Fine. Sorry, I'm I overspoke. I'm fine, thank you. Oh, no, good. It happens. Oh, good. It happens. Good, good, good. Yeah, and I'm healthy and alive. Uh, doing Excellent. well. That's great. Well, I tell you what, before I get into everything that I have lined up, before I do that, I guess I will do the courteous thing and I will be the, the very well behaved and, and generous listener that I am. And I will let you lead us off, Marty. What has you so irritated? Why are you so upset? Well, I was quite. Okay, until I just watched the BBC News and the announcement that, um, well, a, a quick pricey of the news this evening. Public sector workers are on strike for paying conditions. No one's life is getting any less expensive. And yet we're still sending our main battle tanks and more missiles to the Ukraine into a proxy war that serves no purpose other than the agenda of the globalist elite. The other thing that happened, I, I was personal witness to a conversation today between someone um, assessing um, the level of care needed for an elderly lady with dementia go back to her own home. And the first question out of the, well, they call themselves a healthcare worker, but this woman was, um, if she got any fatter, She'd have lost all features and become a ball. Um, so she didn't impress me much, in the words of Shania Twain. The first question out of her mouth was, and how much savings does this person have? Because if they've got less than 14,000, they get the care for free. If they've got 14,000 or more, they have to contribute. And if they've got over £23,000 in savings, they have to pay for it all. So the first question out of this woman's mouth was about how much money and who's going to pay for the care of a, an elderly, demented widow. So then when I hear on the news that 
we're giving more military hardware to the Ukraine and that everyone's going on strike because they're fed up with um, how much they're being paid in the public sector. Yeah, it, it, it kind of blackens my mood, shall we say. I did see today that you guys are going to send, uh, I can't think that, what was the, what's the name of the missiles you guys are sending? You're sending 600 of them, uh, is what I saw, but I can't, I can't remember the name of, what was the name of them? Brimstone. Brimstone. So, yes, you're, you're right, Bruce. So, I, yeah, I did see that you guys are going to be sending 600 Brimstone missiles to Ukraine today, and along with some tanks, and the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, told U.S. congressman today in Davos that Germany will be sending uh, heavy tanks to Ukraine if the United States sends some tanks. So it's one of those, well, we'll do it if you do it uh, kind of thing. And I saw today, they're touting here today on the uh, the mainstream media that they're going to be sending Leopard 2s. You guys are sending tanks? I didn't even know that until Bruce mentioned it when he came in tonight. It's not that you're sending your old tanks, you're sending new ones. Yeah, well, we're not using them, are we? So um, I guess Zelensky might as well have them if, if well, we're not going to use them. You might as well collapse that tunnel to you. You might as well use them that way. <laughs> fill, they're going well, the to need saying. the tunnel. They're going to need the tunnel for all the Europeans to escape as as the war just expands. I'll just go to Calais and get on a dinghy It'll, and I'll just come across that way. Well, it, yeah, I'll pick you up. But it's, yeah. It, it it could it could turn out in an, in another Dunkirk with everybody trying to escape across the channel, but there wouldn't be a lot of point because um, by that time Russia would have um, you know gained the cojones to to start using the big missiles, and that's the one thing that Hitler and the Nazis didn't have. No thanks to the um, attempts of the Schwab family. I hasten to add um, well, that came later, but yeah, yeah. So. It's just, it, it beggars belief that they're sending all this hardware into a war that needs to be ended. And the only way to end a war is cut the money off. And uh, if we cut the money off, the war will finish. Well, and, we can't do that. Um, it's they have their that. war. They have their war. They needed a war, and they had it. See, they started it, and you know just as well as I do and anybody else, I mean, especially those that are familiar with history, when you start a war, you can't just stop it. I mean, yeah, you, you could, but let's be honest here, all parties involved at the top don't want it to stop. They want it to intensify, and they want it to expand in scope. So Yeah, because they couldn't they couldn't get us all scared enough exactly. with uh, with the, the pandemic, so they need to ramp the fear up um, with a threat of... Uh, you know, a nuclear winter. And to what end? You know, I, I was uh, I was talking uh, to Bruce earlier tonight before you came in and I said, you know what? I said, this is their fallback. This has to be their fallback, because if you look at what's gone on at the World Economic Forum this year for this year's meeting, Klaus Schwab has largely been a no show. He's made a couple of appearances. Uh, Bill Gates is not there. George Soros is not there. A lot of other people are not there. You still have some some CEOs and and some you know high profile people there. None of the celebrities bothered to show up this year. You know Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert Downey Jr. None of those people are there. And then well they've scrubbed uh, as of today they've scrubbed everything from their website about anything resembling a lockdown and their endorsement of it. It's like it never happened. It's gone. And then they're down Obviously, there on the stage yeah. and they're hopping up and and screaming about like extinction level events and like they they've just gone insane. Well. Their PR managers 
Um, Because let's face it, none of them operate their own social media or bother to look on the internet. They're far too busy deciding what our lives and futures should be to do any uh, personal research. So they they get told what the public are thinking through the interpretation of their public relations managers. So if it's time to disassociate oneself with um, certain elements, then that's what they'll be doing because they're playing a very long game. You were probably going to mention it, but I'll get in there first. Horseface in New Zealand has uh, declared that she will not be standing for re-election. She doesn't have enough left in the tank. I'm hoping that she's going to you know, take a nice long vacation, perhaps a safari in Kenya, and we'll get finally bagged by that ivory poacher that I hope um, is 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 going to find her. They're all disassociating themselves from it. Johnson managed to totally screw everything up. No one can be that bad. That you know, virtually everything that they did was um, just reducing further and further his standing until he was totally unacceptable as prime minister. Most of that had to be deliberate, in in my opinion. Same as Trump with the stuff that he was saying uh, and doing and, and the rest of it. He had to be doing that deliberately or his PR people were playing him like a fiddle and, and just deciding that you are going to make this gaffe and this mistake and you will eventually be ousted. So they're, they're the ones that they're the ones you got to watch the, the, you know, the spin doctors, they're the ones that are having their strings pulled directly by the real evil bastards at, at, at the, the center of this web. And, and they, they'll create anything that, they want out of public figures. So, yeah, if if a lot of people are not turning up at Davos, did Bill Gates turn up or is that one of my surprises? No, no, he did not turn up. He said that he was so not he, going to make it this year. Along with, And George Soros, he said he had a scheduling conflict through no fault of his own and he just wasn't going to be able to make it either. So, so Gates pulled out, yeah? Yeah. I love that phrase because what I really wish is that his father had pulled out of his mother. <laughs> That's what I really wish. <laughs> But if not him, someone else would be in that position. Yeah. Well, that's what George well, Soros actually been... says. That's what Soros yeah. has actually said. He says, well, if it wasn't me, then it's just going to be somebody else doing it. So that that is also true. And you can't fault the scumbag for saying that because that is what would happen. But there is a way to stop these creatures coming into existence. And that is to bump off the spin doctors to not be susceptible by that i don't mean go out and put a bullet in the heads what i mean is don't be susceptible to hype don't be susceptible to advertising don't believe everything you see on tv just because it's in color that would help but we've been manipulated for so long now that i I don't know i don't know if we can ever come back from it it's going to be tough. I have to admit, it is going to be tough. Uh, but one person that did make it, and I, I need to kind of address everything a little bit at a time here, because you mentioned uh, Ardern. Yes, she is gone. I've got a little bit of uh, audio from her at the podium last night. We'll play that. But first, before I do that, Marty, do you know who this is on screen right here? I do. He looks like, didn't he have a lot to Is it Kissinger? This is Henry Kissinger. Yeah, he did make it, so to speak. He did uh, give it from, his, you know, the speech from his own study, but he did speak at the World Economic Forum this year. And this is uh, this is him. Uh, and I'm going to play what he had to say here about. And before I play it, I, I'd like to get your thought or maybe I, I tell you what, I'll just play it and I'll, I'll let I'll let you comment after. This is his 
take on what should happen with the conflict that's going on in Ukraine. Now, forgive the fact that he he does talk the way that he does because he is 99 years old. Okay, so keep that in mind when you hear him talk. So he is 99 years old. And as Bruce stated, he is still more lucid than the current president of the United States. The United States has supported Ukrainian resistance to continue to support and, if necessary, intensify its military support until the ceasefire line is either reached or accepted in some preliminary discussions. Before this war, I was opposed to membership of Ukraine in NATO because I feared that it would start exactly the process that we are seeing now. Now that this process has reached this level, the idea of a neutral Ukraine under these conditions is no longer meaningful. And at the end of the process that I described, it ought to be guaranteed by NATO in whatever forms NATO can develop. But I believe Ukrainian membership in NATO would be an appropriate outcome. NATO, as we've talked many times before, NATO's outdated. It's It serves no purpose for, for a modern world. And you've served in, in NATO, so it's not like you're being uh, biased and one-sided here, or maybe you are, I'm not sure, but you, you've served with NATO forces before, and you've seen the type of activities that they do in, in these countries, as in like how things are, are done. It's For example, you talked about your experience when you were down in Somalia uh, and the, the steps and procedures that are taken down there. How would this be any different if we bring Ukraine into uh, into NATO? And, and more than that, you've talked before about the whole purpose for the European Union wanting to stand up a, an EU army was irrelevant because they had NATO. And if they had an EU army, that would put them in immediate conflict with Russia. Yeah. Well, with NATO, uh, with with doing what Kissinger's suggesting here, that's literally going to be the same thing. Yeah, uh, you you say he's lucid. Well, if more he so is than lucid, Biden. More so than Biden. Oh yeah, I mean, there, there's slugs in my garden that are more lucid than than creepy Joe. But Kissinger there, and I, sorry, I have got to talk about the way he talks. Suddenly, he's developed a British accent. Did he have some kind of throat surgery that fixed it? Or ma- uh, maybe it, sure. it was he a CRISPR. German. It could be. I yeah. know he's German, but it, he, he always spoke English with um, with an American accent before, um, from what I remember as a kid see, seeing him on the black and white television. No, the question you've got to ask is, why does Putin feel that he, or why, why does Putin feel that he needs that buffer? Why does he feel under threat? Is it because he is completely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, paranoid? I don't, well, dictators do live in a, in a constant state of paranoia, that's true. But And, I'm and they've not... had a succession of dictators as yes. in, in the role that he's in. And at one point, they were, um, had, had a much broader reach before the falling of the Iron Curtain and the breakup of the Soviet Union. So why does, but why now does he still feel that he needs a buffer? Is it because really that threat is still there? The threat of a force invading from west to east, as opposed to the other way, which is the way I grew up thinking was it was going to happen, was of an invasion from east to west. Because right the way through my sort of teenage years and my years 
in the armed forces, Russia was the enemy. We were taught to believe that the Soviet Union would, at the drop of a hat, be pushing its way west, and it was them that we had to be ready to repel. But everything else that my government has told me in recent years has proved to be a lie. And uh, what's to say that that wasn't a lie or a created situation? I am anything but a communist. I despise socialists. I hate people with a handout for free stuff. Twice today, I've had to tell the same guy who's knocked on my door once during daylight and once at, at night time asking for donations to a charity. I told him to f*** off once, and later on in the evening, I had to tell him to f*** off again. I give to charity all the time, but I don't want some prat coming to my front door asking for it. I digress slightly. Where was I going with that? The point about the whole thing with Russia is they're no longer really socialists. They're crony capitalists, just the same as China is. And so NATO was stood up to stop the or stem the, the the spread of communism because no one had the stomach to go after Stalin after the Second World War, which they should have done. They should have just turned everything around and headed east and finished Russia off because the spread of communism is, is what has put so many people under the, the heel of dictators. So with Russia and Ukraine, we can see quite clearly with the amount of training of troops, the the provision of arms and armament, that this is a proxy war. But it's not really being fought capitalism against communism. It's just to stop a, a rogue. And that rogue to the globalist elite is Vladimir Putin. So I think that's the, the root of his paranoia. He does know that they are out to get him. Just because he's paranoid doesn't mean they don't want him gone. But is he rogue, though? I mean, I, I've developed a, a different um, a different opinion. Well, we did, uh, we've discussed this many times, haven't we? Uh, and yeah. we, we can't really know. I don't think we're ever going to know because the outcome is going to... His own people will get rid of him eventually. If that's true, yeah. I, I, I honestly, I, I can't, I can't say one way or the other. I mean, we don't really know what's going on inside Russia, other than through uh, back channels here and there that we get information from. But uh, you're seeing the usual uh, headlines coming out of Russia, where the, you know, the uh, the politician in the Duma that's been in there for 20 years all of a sudden gets a heart attack and falls out of a four-story window because he was, uh, he was depressed because he lost his friend or something. I mean, that uh, that actually happened uh, a couple of weeks ago in uh, in India. But I I don't I don't think that they are at odds. I mean, that would be part of uh, of the deception. Uh, I don't think that they are. I, I don't think they're opposed to one another. I, I don't believe that. At least not when it comes to Schwab. If you look at Schwab and you look at the World Economic Forum as a whole, in my humble opinion, I think it's just a front for uh, the Communist Party. That's all I think that it is. I mean, if you look at everything that they push, hell, when Klaus Schwab gives a speech from his office, he's got he's got a bust of Lenin behind him in his office. Yeah, the thing is, they are not a front for the Communist Party. What they are is a front for the globalist elite who want to use Marxism as a way of controlling whatever populace they allow the planet to have. That's the real truth of it. And they're businessmen, they're financiers, they're bankers, they're oil barons, they're tech barons. 
And the thing about business is it doesn't take things personally. It's ready to forgive at the drop of a hat. As soon as the deal's been done, right, let's move on. Where can we go from here? How can we regain something out of this? What part of the pie can we have? And as if if Putin wins in this struggle against Ukraine and vice versa, Ukraine's struggle against Putin, then these bankers, these financiers, these tech barons will be ready to do business with him almost immediately. The dust won't even have settled from the last bomb that dropped before a deal is struck. At the same time, you have these same corporate people, these same financiers, these same bankers, these same business types. Uh, and I don't even want to call Klaus Schwab a business type because, I mean, I, <laughs> I think my, my cat he's wholly, spent more... He's wholly unqualified, isn't he? He is. He's, and so is everyone else around him. He's the prime example of the Peter principle, which is where you get promoted to one level above your level of competency. And he's not competent at all. He's very transparent, unless you're one of those people like Mark Barfield, for instance, who wants something from him. I haven't heard back from Mark. You will not let that. He was probably a bot. No, I won't. Yeah. So, well, I just i i I look at uh, i I look at what's being played out over there, and and it it makes sense. I I don't think uh, again, you know, that was their fallback, and they needed Putin to do that in order to to be able to play that fallback. But it needed to be built up, and now they have it. So they're losing here. Now they can expand this into a wider conflict over there and they can they can hit everybody else from another angle on the war front because that's historically that's what's always worked for them. That's always been a fallback for the banker boys uh, is that and it gives them an excuse to do exactly what they want to do without going through and doing it arbitrarily through these governments that are losing support at home. Now it allows them to say, oh, well, because of the, you know, the war effort, we've got to uh, ration energy. We've got to ration this. We've got to ration that. We've got, well, we've got to spend this and we've got to increase this. And, and well, you know, we're just going to, we're going to have to bring back the draft uh, because we're going to have to get people over there because you don't want that, that evil man, Putin, you don't want him coming over here. It gives him the perfect cover. I don't know what was talked about behind the scenes. We can only surmise about that. But I don't see this as um, Putin against the West. I don't see that. And the reason is, is because, yes, everybody wants to share that pie. You're, you're right. You, you are right on that. But let's be honest here. What's not being talked about while we're talking about Russia, Ukraine and the West? China. We're not talking about them, are we? We're not talking about how their economy is failing. We're not talking about how bad the COVID has actually been affecting you know, the COVID crisis has actually been affecting the Chinese. Now, you can say that that's propaganda. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe there's some in there. Maybe there's not. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Chinese have been, because of the the re-election, you know, the unanimous re-election of Xi Jinping for a historic third term. Did I talk it up well enough? Because of that, the cadre across China, who are you know, members of the Politburo and, and whatnot, they all wanted to one up each other over the last two years leading up to the election. So they wanted to to make sure that they were in the good graces of President Xi and everyone else around him to make sure that they survived whatever possible purges or excuse me, uh, dismissals uh, could be. So naturally, they tried to one up each other by impose, see who could impose, you know, the bigger and more strict lockdowns on their people. And as a result, as GP has talked about here many times, you can only lock people down for so long. And if you don't feed them, if you don't give them the proper nutrition, 
then they're going to have a very damaged immune system and you will become susceptible to just about anything, which seems to be what's actually happening in China. Now that they say that, well, we fully reopened. Well, look what's happened. You haven't nourished your people in two years. So yeah, they're going to be dropping like flies. They haven't been able to go out and get in the sunlight. So they're going to be diminished in vitamin C or vitamin C. Well, vitamin C, yes, but vitamin D. And so, yeah, you've got that problem. But the business people, the corporate people here that have gone over over the last 20, 30 years and done deals in communist China and in Russia, I might add, and in Ukraine, the people that have done deals and business agreements and everything else with the people in the Far East, there's a little bit of a problem. All these places, they've all been reverse infiltrated by Marxists, by communists. Yeah. They've all been reverse infiltrated. Now they've got these people here in the West, the business people, the finance capital, the governments, they've all got them jammed up in one way or another. And so they've got them barking and singing to their tune. So they're compromised on both ends. They're jammed up for us for trying to uh, literally kill us. They, these people have been trying to kill you for the last two, almost three years now, if you haven't figured that out by now. They've destroyed centuries of accumulated wealth of families in our countries. They're threatening to to literally wipe out an entire generation or, or two or three if you don't do what they say. So you've got them at that level, they're, they're being jammed up by us because we're angry. They're jammed up by the people that they've done business with, so they can't make any moves there. And then you've got the people that are in the Far East, such as Russia and China, who are saying, well, you see, uh, the, the West has become satanic. They've become degenerative. The family's not important. and everything. Okay, all right. Granted, to an extent, I, I do agree with that. But look at the policies that they implement on their people. They never tell you about that, do they? They never tell you that the number of abortions in Russia and in China are higher per capita than any Western nation. They never tell you that. They never tell you about the level of addiction of opioids in their own countries. It's always us. It's always redirected back at us. But see, when they say that, when Putin comes out and he says stuff like that, they're appealing to people like us that are very upset with our governments. It's a scissor strategy is what they're playing. Yeah, They've got the people here in the West, the power brokers, as you call them, whether that's the banks, whether that's um, governments or, or whatever, they've got them jammed up every which way and they can't move. And so they're, they're compromised all the way through and through. That's the problem. That, that's the biggest fallacy. Uh, when I was going through and I was reading uh, interviews and debriefs of uh, high level uh, Communist Party uh, members from the Soviet Union, when they would come to the West and, and defect, this is back when we were actually you know, fighting uh, communism, as you had mentioned before. That was the biggest problem. They said, no, you don't understand. That's the biggest misconception that Westerners have is you think that communists, as in like, you know, communist bloc countries, you think they want to do business with you. They don't. They don't care about your business. They don't care about your money. What they want is power and control over you. So they'll do business with you. Sure. Yeah. Even Mao said that in his own writing. He says, yeah, we'll do business with anybody. We'll just kill them later. And that's where they are. They also have to offload some of their population. If there's too many of the people that aren't under their control within their own sphere of control, within their own countries, their position becomes tenuous. And the Bruce, you, you can probably help me out here because um, for a long time, China's population, it's 2 billion. It's 2 billion. It's not anymore. It's about 300 million less than that. And that's been in recent years when despite the end of the one-child policy, which is something we 
instigated a bit of a deal to give them what they wanted if they promised just to reduce the number of children they were having. What it did achieve for them was to uh, reduce the the size of families so you don't have that family network to rely on. You know, you've got whole generations of people growing up without brothers, sisters, and subsequently aunties, uncles, and extended family to uh, to support you or them. But yeah, since, since that policy ended, their population has gone down, and it's gone down by two to three hundred million. Was when I last looked at it. Am I close there, Bruce? Yeah. So in yeah, it looks like just within 2020 to 2022, it went down about a million and a half, roughly. Um, just between what, those what two years. What, what, what um, are the figures stating as now? Figures. The st- yeah, the figures state now it's one billion four hundred and ten million five hundred thirty-nine thousand seven hundred. So that's nearly half a billion, nearly half a billion less than it was, let's say, twenty years ago. So yeah. the Chinese people have have already been cleaning house, haven't they? They, oh sorry, the the Communist Party have already been cleaning house. They've reduced their population significantly, and yeah, and they have a disparaging uh, like a ratio between male and female there because of as you were saying the the one China po- or the one child policy there. Uh, it, it's created something like a I think it's like a two to one or three to one or something like that. Like there's there's like Two to three women for every one male. Uh, so something, something that out of fact. So there's more women than there are men. Excuse me, the other way around. Sorry, it's, that's it, that's what I thought. To Sorry, women. yes, my, my which apologies. is an ideal situation if you want a even in these days of uh, diversity and equality, which is an ideal situation for a massive land army where you've got way more males ready to put a uniform on pick up an AKM and get on the front line. So it's working to their advantage in that respect. But yeah, I mean, no one got to hear about the number of baby girls that were killed at birth because you're only going to get one child and you want that child to be a son. It happened. And and there was some horrible things going on in China, which most of the world was paying no attention to, like Johnny says. If they had a scan and found out that the the gender of the expectant or the, the child they were expecting was female, chances are there could have been that pregnancy could have been terminated. It's sick. It's a sick way to think, but I'm afraid that's that's where you've got old culture with this patriarchy set up where you've got to have a male at the head of the family, you've got to have a son, an heir. It's it's those things that have helped them to to achieve their aim, which is to have loads of males ready to be in their army and also reduce the population at the same time. That's just there's, a guess. That's just a guess. Uh, that, that I I agree. That's that's exactly what they were doing. And as you as you get to the high, older ages age groups, the uh, disparaging numbers become even more apparent uh, between male and female. Uh, China, though, is only the second worst. Um, there's actually a country a country ahead of them with a even greater uh, gap between the two uh, genders, and that's is Kuwait, that India, Kuwait, Kuwait, Kuwait. Really? Oh, yeah. That's surprising. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Well, 
I, I suppose we should get on with it here. I, Marty, I have I have this brought up for you. This is one of the surprises that I have for you. This is, a, again, getting back to the uh, the World Economic Forum. You talk about being compromised. I can think of no one else that is more compromised than, than this person here. You're going to need to manage that population, right? We're going to need to manage all these, these um, how does Yuval Noah Harari put We're, we're going to have to manage all these useless people, right? And in order to do that, uh, well, let me see. You're going to need a, a digital ID system. Well, to get that digital ID, you're going to have to do a number of things, just like with the COVID passport. Whoa, right there. That was the introduction to the digital ID, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You're going to have to take this jab to get this QR code to do X, Y, or Z. Name whatever it is. That's what you got to do. They use travel. And they're still going to do that. Make no mistake. Just like with the electric cars. Well, that's if you're allowed to have one. But to use any public transport in the future, according to these people, you're going to need that as well. And you're going to have to tie your vaccination status, because that will be part of it, to this digital ID that will have your digital currency and your carbon footprint and everything else. And here to explain that is, well, quite frankly, it's it's a man who belongs in Belmarsh, former prime minister of the UK, Tony Blair. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple There'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. So they're going to create it for you. Is this from this year's? Yes, sir. Oh, man, I really wish I'd have taken up Mark's offer to go to Switzerland and, and I could have been there because it'd have got, he, he wouldn't even have been able to sit down if I'd have got in that room. Just as he's walking to the chair, that's when all 16 and a half stones, six foot three of me would have been leaping on him. Why is this man, who was an absolute failure as a prime minister, well, I say failure, they managed to achieve all the things that they wanted to achieve, but none of them were any good for this country. And, and that's the situation we've got with our, all of our politicians at the moment. They are being branded as as incompetent and and clueless, but are in fact achieving the agenda of the globalist elite. And that's all that man. Oh, did I use the word man? That's all that c- is. He he is. He's nothing but a tool, both um, euphemistically and figuratively, of the um, World Economic Forum and the globalist elite. So why did you do that? Thank you for my lovely surprise. Cheers. Yeah, mate. well, that's not the only quite... one. I have another one for you, but I'm going oh, to end with that one. one. I do. I'm going to end with that, though. I'm not going to do that okay. uh, just yet. However, you did say that you were looking to take up uh, in, an offer from uh, Mr. Barfield that you, um, that which who knows if he even exists. So, Marty, you did say last week that you had a possible chance to meet somebody or, or be introduced to somebody from the World Economic Forum and, and possibly take a trip down to Geneva and on over to, to Davos. Now, if you would have done that, it is entirely possible. I, now, that's 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 even assuming you could get in there because you had to make it past in order to get in there. And I don't know if you, you heard us talking about the procedures to get in this year, but you had to make it past not only the 5,000 Swiss army troops that were there, you had to pass biometric scans, you had to take a COVID test. Of course, that all had to be negative, but then you were assigned a badge, you know, and depending on what color badge you had, that determined your level of access. So if you were, if you identified as a, um, as an independent 
uh, reporter, you could have gotten in, I think. You, you could have gotten in. However, it is entirely possible that you could have just happened to bump into Klaus Schwab while he was out having dinner. Now, do you think that he would have spoken to you if you were an independent reporter and you wanted just to ask him a simple question, just a question? You think he would have talked to you? I've, I'm, a, I'm a, a bit of a social chameleon. And as you know, a consumer actor, I could have been quite convincing and and asked a what seems to be innocuous question that Klaus may have been inclined to answer. But the chances are that my self-control wouldn't have been that great. And if he was answering, it would have been in chokes like that. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, it just so happens that he was cornered by an independent reporter. There was one question that the reporter wanted to ask, and this is how the poor young lady from Japan got treated. I'm from Japan. May I ask you for? I'm from Japan. Yeah. And may I ask you for a comment? No, we're on our we're on our way to the next thing. We're a bit late. Oh, I can just walk with you and then ask you. Oh, I think we're gonna we're gonna rush actually. But thank you. Thanks very much. Which which media are you with? I am an independent journalist from Japan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I have to ask. Thanks. Thank you. You see, the executive chairman, he was just too busy. He didn't have time for a, for a comment. Now, if she would have said CNN or the BBC, I'm sure that they could have gotten a comment. Well, yeah, but people like him have no time for individuals. They'd rather control whole countries by bribing or blackmailing their governments. They should have done some sort of elocution lesson for Klaus, because it's really unfortunate that he has got that archetypal Bond villain accent. You know, it, it's like a, a wasp. A wasp has got black and yellow stripes on it, so you can tell that it's got a sting. And other things emulate that colouring to pretend they've got a sting. Whereas he's the real thing. He he has got pure venom inside him, and it's it's directed at people like us. We don't count in his picture of the world. Uh, We don't matter. So an independent reporter wouldn't matter. So that's why I would have no self-control were I faced with him and I would be in a Swiss jail by now. Did you happen to notice the young lady that's with him here? Uh, How she was no. uh, she was shouting to the uh, to the reporter there. No, sorry, we're not available for comment. No, we don't have time for you. We need to move on. We're we're very busy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are yeah, going yeah. to the next thing now. Yes. Yeah, we're going to the next thing. Well, who is it? Now, that's that's the thing. Bruce caught that. Uh, he says he says, all right. He says, who's the lady? Who's the who's the handler? Because that's what she sounds like. We started to brainstorm back and forth. Well, you know, it could be just an admin or something. The guy's probably got four or five admins working for him anyway. But Bruce did some digging on the um, on the World Economic Forum's website and found that it's this lady. Her name's Mel Rogers, and she is the head of strategic affairs and a member of the executive committee at the World Economic Forum. Huh. Wow. Well, let's just see. Just, well, yeah. just how many committees have they got? I mean, uh, quite a at few. the end of the day, it's, quite a few. it's supposed to just be a an open forum where people can share ideas about how to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all these levels of committees and officials within it, it's more and more like the Gestapo or the Stasi or the KGB every time you look at it, isn't it? It is, yes. 
Well, let's look at the credentials of Ms. Rogers, shall we? And see if you can tell if she's qualified to be there or not, which you clearly stated that Schwab's not even qualified to be there. So let's look at what she has. She has a bachelor's in engineering and applied sciences at the University of Toronto, specializing in biomedical engineering. She has an MBA, a Calhoun fellow at Yale University, former positions with focus features at Partner Millennium Research Group, Bruce is looking into that. A strategic research and consulting firm focused on the global medical technology sector, responsible for global research and development initiatives, covering both strategic consulting services and syndicated research engagements across five continents. Oh my good, five continents, you hear that? In 2005, she joined the World Economic Forum as an inaugural member of the Global Leadership Fellows Program. She's held a variety of roles, including government and member relations, knowledge management, curation, and virtual collaboration and community engagement since 2009, works directly with the executive chairman, that would be Klaus Schwab, incubating strategic initiatives and overseeing institutional development. And she is currently the senior director for strategic affairs and advisor to the executive chairman personally. Do you know what that resume says to me? She hasn't done a damn thing her entire life. Well, no, she hasn't. She hasn't. She's got she's got a degree and some experience in, in biomechanics, so she That's could it. at least make friends. Yeah. That's um, it. You know, get, give her a lab and a few stem cells, uh, and and you know, she she could probably make someone for for herself to be a friend with. I personally think she's genetically engineered. I I think she's possibly <laughs> one of the the cloned children from Mengele or something like that. Uh, if you look at her, her resume, she she's got all of the uh, you know the skills that that evil bastard had. And clearly the personality to go with it. How can any, you have to be some special kind of sociopath narcissist to work with a sociopath narcissist. I've got nothing to add there, really. I'm, I, I will just slag the woman off until the cows come home. But yeah, very interesting that they've got all these levels of, of department and commission and, and committee but it's supposed to just be a forum for the sharing of ideas. And even if it's to an independent journalist, you'd think they'd want to spread some goodwill, but they don't care. The right word in the right place can really improve things. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So when you're faced with an independent journalist, have something good to say. Have something that they can't argue with. That four-eyed didn't even have that. Shall we move on to Greta Thunberg? If we must. As you saw the, did you see the arrest? Did I show you the, the arrest in, in Germany? Have you seen I, that? I've seen the arrest. The completely, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but the completely staged, false, made up, fake arrest. And for the benefit of the listeners, these two are both nodding at me because they, they've seen the footage as well. What kind of policeman, self-respecting policeman, is going to stand there and pose for still shots of the arrest of Greta Thunberg prior to marching 10 or 15 paces while it's videoed before letting her go and smiling and asking for an autograph, which I'm sure one of them must have done. Yeah, a complete sham. The whole arrest of Greta Thunberg was a complete sham. Well, you see, Marty, she's there 
to stop that coal mine from uh, from from going through. That she she's there to stop that evil coal company from coming in there to uh, to mine that coal. That's what she's there for. She's there to to raise awareness. And you know she's funded by people like uh, like Al Gore. I know we played some clips yesterday of uh, of Al Gore. Uh, did you hear? Mr. Gore, you know, former vice president, Al Gore, the climate alarm. I, um, I can't. I've heard him in the past talking oh, yeah. about okay. the environment yeah. and, okay. and climate change. Well, I'm sure that this is just a coincidence, but he's made over three hundred and thirty million dollars since he started doing all this. And and he owns the uh, the, the exchange where and I mentioned this yesterday, he owns the exchange where you have to buy the carbon offsets from his company if you've produced too much carbon. And that company's valued at around 36 billion US dollars. And he makes just a small dividend of $2 million a month personally from that carbon exchange. So you see, he's saving the, you know, the earth. He's, he's bringing awareness to, to climate change, you see. Yeah, this kind of nepotism, insider trading, basically just making sure you've got all the, the aces up your sleeve isn't uncommon. It happens so many times now ned told me something today and hopefully he'll be on tomorrow it blew my mind what he told me i don't want to steal his thunder no, so don't I'm spoil not it. No. it is i don't want to know i don't want to know i'll find out but it's absolutely amazing that that level of corruption and it's so obvious as well it's it's absolutely in the public eye so if gore's getting away with two million a month <laughs> what what does he want to do with it if I was getting two million a month, you wouldn't see me for duffs. There would be no chance that the public would be crawling or you know, the, the public eye would be all over me, that I would give the press and, and the media no chance whatsoever to know where I was, what I was doing. You would not see me for dust. But these people, as I've stated many times, are sociopaths, narcissistic, megalomaniacs, and the money is irrelevant. It's all about the power and control, which again goes back to what you were saying earlier on about the Soviet dictators and, and their plans and the way they've subverted Western education since the 1950s. And, and that's what it's all about for them. Who the hell would want to be in that chair? What kind of person would want to be in Putin's position right now? Or even for that matter, Zelensky's. I can't imagine anyone who would really, really want it. You have to be wired differently. You have to be to the point where you're an absolute screw up. There's no way that that level of power and position is ever worth what you're getting from it. Do you know what I'm hearing out of you, Marty? I don't even think you realize what you're saying. Do tell me, because I have no clue what I'm saying half the time I'm, anyway. I'm hearing, I'm hearing xenophobic comments from you is what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm hearing xenophobia. I like Xena. Like She's a fantastic <laughs> lesbian warrior princess. <laughs> not, not that. Not that. I'm hearing xenophobia. And, and to explain to you how xenophobia relates to, to climate, Al Gore, he's, he's going to explain it to you of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. 
So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had. And we need have had and we need to make some changes. You've got to make changes and it's you got to act and you don't have yeah, time and, to think and about the it. changes we need to make are for the world to stop listening to hypocrites like that hat. He was part of the government that set up all of those American foreign policy moves that kicked off the Arab Spring, that created bin Laden, that did all of those things. And for him to suddenly talk about um, one billion refugees, the movement of Ja people has already started. You know, the, the original movement, so they say, for Homo sapiens was from the heart of Africa, perhaps even when Pangaea was still a thing, and moving up into the Caucasus Mountains. And the reason we're called Caucasians is because that's where the people that we are descended from um, first gathered and then moved on. So he is directly responsible for the start of the, the movement of refugees. The climate change stuff is utter twaddle because the fact is Africa could feed itself if it wasn't constantly at war, if there wasn't constant intertribal fights, if there wasn't warlords using religion to kick up more and more problems in Africa. Africa could feed itself. If they weren't divided by race, if it wasn't for the apartheid system, again, which in the initial stages was supported by the United States and the United Kingdom, for that matter, then there wouldn't be this disparity and the farms in South Africa and Zimbabwe and Botswana would still be producing all that food that they could produce and feeding the rest of the continent. But it's his fault. And yeah, that's what we need to do. We don't need to change. We need to stop listening to twats like him. And I just wish I will finish after this rant. I wish they'd choose a proper word because xenophobia is fear of foreigners. I'm not scared of foreigners. I've been around the world two and a half times. I've lived in foreign countries. I've lived in different cultures. I'm not scared of foreigners. I don't like the fact that my country is being invaded by tens of thousands of illegal immigrants each year. I don't like that because whilst I'm paying thousands of pounds, tens of thousands of pounds in tax and national insurance every year, and these economic migrants are turning up and getting tens of thousands of pounds in welfare, our old and frail people are having to use all their savings, sell their homes to pay for their care. Not to mention the uh, the veterans that are neglected in both of our countries. Yeah, as well as that. So Al Gore needs to shut his festering hole. You know, I meant to say cake hole. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we uh, well, there's a lot of bleeps tonight. You know, we uh, we started this conversation, this this segment here with uh, with Greta Thunberg, and I I know that uh, I do want to talk about that because she was after she was released by German police. 
Uh, she somehow miraculously ended up on a first class flight to Davos. I'm, I'm not quite sure how she got down there, uh, but she was interviewed by CNBC this afternoon. And I will get to that in a second. But before I do that, we were kind of surmising and I, I played this yesterday, but I'm going to play it for you today. We've been surmising for many, many years now as to who's actually paying for all this, who's paying for the Greta Thunberg types. And she's not the only one, but to do all of that stuff and, and to create all of this hysteria and these movements and the, uh, you know, the social media infrastructure and everything else that costs money. A lot of it. Do you know how much it costs to advertise just on Facebook alone for one page at that level? It's about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month, a month to promote it and get it put out there on like the main feeds and, you know, advertisements dropped into everybody else's news feeds. That's how expensive it is for business. Right. And that's exactly what they're doing as a business. You're asking why Al Gore would need two million dollars a month in dividends just from that one company he owns. Listen to this. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had and we need have had and we need to make some changes. We've heard about divides at this conference between the north and south and the east and west. There's another divide increasingly between those who are old enough to be in positions of power and the young people of this world. Greta Thunberg was just arrested in Germany. I agree with her uh, efforts to stop that coal mine in Germany. Young people around the world are looking at what we're doing. They look at the World Bank and they say, oh, you've got a climate denier in charge of the World Bank. So why are you surprised that the World Bank is completely failing? to do its job. Secretary General says that. Everybody knows the World Bank is failing badly. Now we have the COT process. Okay, what do I say to these young activists that I train around the world when they come to me and they say, are you okay with putting the the CEO of one of the largest oil companies in the world in as the president of the COP? Is that really okay? Well, it's not whether he's a nice guy or not, or whether he's intelligent. The appearance of a conflict of interest undermines confidence at a time when climate activists around the world, and I'm partly speaking for them right here on this stage, have come to the conclusion that the people in authority are not. All right. So you see that uh, he, and I don't think he was supposed to say that quiet part out loud, he is funding those young activists and training those activists around the world. And uh, it just so happens, you know how you know how he was criticizing the um, uh, the, the head of the the cop program, whatever that is. You know the yeah. cop twenty six, twenty seven, whatever it was. Are you okay with the head of that being uh, a, a head of a major oil company? Al Gore is literally the head of Occidental Petroleum. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they they don't bother to ask him that question. And I made the point yesterday. I bet most of these idiots that they have out there at these protests and these rallies that have masks on their faces, I bet they don't even know what in the hell the World Bank is, let alone who's in charge of it. You see, he's not been able to switch off, has he? Because when he meets these young activists, he's got to pretend to have the same kind of zealous drives that they've got. They've got to believe that, just sorry, um, well, actually, I won't even say sorry, just like religion. If you believe the way you pray is better than somebody else prays, then, you know, so many times that's been used as an excuse for genocide, as an excuse for war. And this is another way of dividing populations. No one denies that we could all pollute less. I certainly don't deny that we could pollute less. But when you consider on a global scale 
and that's the way they want things to move on a global scale, that the UK produces about 4% of, of the world's carbon emissions. So we could just disappear um, in a puff of smoke, that being our last carbon emission, and it would make absolutely no difference because China, India, and other developing countries are polluting at an enormous rate, but they are not playing the game. It's just the West that's playing the game and uh, falling into line, and it's being done with St. Greta of Thunberg as its modern-day Joan of Arc. You know, stick her in a suit of armour, shove her in... Um, you know, the, the town square of Rouen and stick a fire under her as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, she's being played. I feel sorry for her because she's being used. She's been subverted, brainwashed and used by uncaring parents who don't care about their child. All they care about is their zealous ideas. No argument, sir. Let's hear what she had to say after being interviewed in Davos by CNBC. It should be activists in, in, inside speaking to these people. It should be those on the front lines and not privileged people like me who are not experiencing the first-hand consequence of the climate crisis. Um, but then again, um, I think that right now the changes that we need are not um, very likely to come from from the inside, rather, I believe they will come from from the bottom up, so to speak, and um, because without public pressure, without massive public pressure from the outside, at least in my experience, and uh, these people are going to go as far far as they possibly can, as long as they can get away with it. They will continue to invest in fossil fuels. They will continue to to throw people under the bus for their own gain. Well, it's not apropos of what she was saying. But did you see the bags under that girl's eyes? Oh, yeah. She's looking pretty rough. Well, she is Marty, exhausted. Marty, 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 She's exhausted. Of course, she's been arrested twice. She was arrested twice by the German police. And she flew all that way. Yeah. You know, first class on a uh, carbon emitting jet. One of the to, few to countries I've never been to. One of the few countries I've never been to. Oh, you got to come over. You got to come over after all this is not um, all, all this nonsense. is over. I've been arrested by police all over the world. And um, it's not a nice experience. But she wasn't arrested, was she? No, she, she wasn't. Was, and believe me, if you get arrested by German police, posed <laughs> for a picture. The reason she's got bags under her eyes is because she was up all night being briefed on every word yeah. that came out of her mouth just then. And the the hypocrisy of it is, and what she doesn't realise is that those people who used to invest in fossil fuels, the oil companies, the coal and all the rest of it, most of them have now moved their investments into renewables. And so what she's actually talking about is the people who were a little bit late to the party, the the later investors who are still running oil companies and coal companies, which we all need because the air quotes renewables don't do what they say on the tin. They don't achieve the level of power uh, output that we as a world populace need to cook our food, heat our homes. Of course, if we all uh, lived a more simple life and, and weren't stuck into cities, which is where they want to put however many of us they they are allowed to exist once they've built the, the tri-state city and, um, and your 15-minute cities, if we lived a more simple life and we could go out and 
gather firewood and cook and and be heated by fires. Uh, Happy to that do that. Would be, that would be I have great. A fireplace. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I have a fireplace. Have you too. got a fireplace, and you know what? I, I got I got I got a big pile of wood in the back. I got a couple of axes. I love chopping wood. It's really therapeutic. I get mine delivered by a Polish chap called Arthur. He's coming oh, tomorrow, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm not xenophobic. See. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Uh, Marty, I, I do have this surprise for you. Would you like me to get to the surprise? Because, I mean, we're out of time, so I'm, I'm going to have to get to this. Let's do it. Okay. Marty, I'm aware that you you love cake. I love cake. I invented cake. You invented cake? I, I never did. knew that. I did. One day in, in my flat in Alain, uh, in the middle of the Abu Dhabi desert, I was bored. I went round the cupboards, and I put things into a bowl. I mixed them up and put it in the oven, and what came out can only be described as cake. So I didn't follow a recipe, so therefore I invented cake. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go with that. And I, again, I, apart from that, I know that you, you love cake and you love sweet things and, and all kinds of stuff. What I didn't know is that you guys actually have a, um, a food czar in the UK. I didn't know that. Did you know that you had a food czar? Um, I don't pay any attention to sort of imperialist Russian rulers. Oh, I see. Well, uh, it just so happens that uh, this foods are who's a who's a professor, by the way. I might add. Just I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Do you know what? Anyone can call themselves professor. Anyone. I didn't um, know that. All it means, yeah. All it means is that you make your living out of that particular thing. Oh, um, I see. I see. So. Yeah, okay. Professor Foods are. Let's hear uh, it. So I'm excited uh, now. This is a food watchdog. The British Foods are is an actual title, okay, by your government. She actually does work for your government in this. Okay. Right. So yeah. Uh the head of the food watchdog in Britain has but she's been ridiculed just just a little bit for what she's done. She suggested that uh, workers bringing in cake to the office that's as harmful to the nation's health as passive smoking. Professor Susan Jeb, who is chairwoman of the Food Standards Agency, the FSA, said that she only eats cake during the day because colleagues give her the opportunity to do so. She then called on office workers to refrain from the practice to help fight against obesity. Now, I'm going to quote here from uh, Professor Jeb. She says, if nobody brought cakes into the office, I would not eat cakes in the day. But because people do bring the cakes in, I eat them. She was talking to the Times of, of London when, when she gave that, that quote. She says, now, OK, I've made the choice. But people were making a choice to go into the smoky pub, right? It's the same difference, according to her. She says, with smoking, after a very long time, we've got to go to a place where we understand that individuals have to make some effort, but that we can make their efforts more successful by having a supportive environment. We still don't feel like that about food. First of all, there may be one or two listen, listeners who will laugh at her name because there, there's a phrase or, or, or name, a jeb end in certain sort of parts of the country means something quite derogatory. Um, so people might laugh at that. Not that she's, you know, hasn't been ridiculed enough, apparently. Now then, that kind of statement that bringing cakes into work is as bad as passive smoking. Um, ridiculous. I personally hated the day when they banned smoking in pubs because that meant I had to go outside and stand in the rain or, um, you know, be cold. And um, I often used to say, uh, a drink is too wet without one. That used to be an advertising uh, slogan for um, for a biscuit, actually. 
You know, they're rich tea biscuits. A drink is too oh, I wet love without English. one. I love your guys' biscuits. I, I do. It's very, very well, difficult. Yeah, but rich there. tea is possibly the worst biscuit. It's got nothing. It, all no, it's good I, for is dunking in a cup of tea. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's about it. Because it, I like, it's... I like the McVitie's. Uh, and I, I like the... Uh, th- those are decent biscuits. You know, the whole wheat biscuits. And I also like hobnobs. Yeah, yeah. Chocolate the, hobnobs. Hobnobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, di- the McVitie's Digestive and the hobnob also made by McVitie's, but of course only improved uh, by the hot, uh, the the chocolate hobnob. Yep. Look, when I did work in the office before lockdown and all kinds of social interactions ended, we had a guy, uh, he's still working with us, he's dreadfully posh, got a bit of a stutter, but um, his his highlight was, was one particular week of the year when it was a five-cake day week because there were people around our desks massive office but it was when there were five people with birthdays that week and they all brought cakes in on a different day that was his 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 next naval officer um i won't mention his name but he's a very funny guy and what that does is it allows people to socialize it allows people to give something to somebody you know, it's my birthday, I've brought cakes in, and please help yourself. I used to do it when it, even when it wasn't my birthday, uh, until some people from the other side of the office who I hadn't invited to partake of my donuts Took cakes. Cake. <laughs> I saw a guy walk off with a whole packet of donuts. Yeah, <laughs> where the flying flip are you going with my donuts? And I had to have a, a, a bit of an argument with him, which I won, and I got the donuts back. But no, in all seriousness, yeah, if you eat too much cake, you're going to wind up with diabetes, perhaps. You're going to wind up uh, overweight and your teeth are going to rot. But at the end of the day, you can choose how much cake you eat if you've got any sense at all. And it's an opportunity for something nice just to happen. So um, the one thing that was always left, because this, this kind of wokeism even went into the cake-bringing field of activity. And people would bring, um, as well as cakes, they'd bring some fruit and some crudités and, and maybe a hummus dip. And you can bet your, bet your, your bottom dollar that at the end of the day, the person whose birthday it was would be tidying up you know, the cake wrappers, but there would be all these crudités and fruit and hummus that they would then have to take home or put straight into the bin. So people want cake. People like cake. Sugar makes the brain feel happy. We're all too bloody miserable. So get stuffed, Jeb End. You'll be happy to know that the uh, the Director General of the Free Market Institute of Economic Affairs agrees with you. He says this is just ludicrous, and I hope that there isn't a single penny of taxpayers' money spent on this utter nonsense. Well, yeah, he's a mate of mine, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, Marty, it's been a fantastic conversation. We're going to have to call this one done. We'll see you next week, yes? Oh, yes. Fantastic. We look forward to your uh, considered and informed opinion that we are all welcome to. I want to thank you, gentlemen, for being here this evening. I want to thank all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a fantastic weekend. Good night, everybody. I'm off for donut. <laughs> <laughs>